you prepare for something you don't like? Whether that something comes into your life suddenly and without warning, or you have the benefit of knowing a few months ahead of time that that something is coming. How do you prepare yourself for that something you don't like? Well, that something we're talking about is the thing called change. One of the ways that I've learned to deal with change in my life is to, first of all, accept the fact that change is a constant part of life on planet Earth. Very few things remain the same. Therefore, I've got to change my mind. I've got to change my mentality. The sooner I change my belief about change, the better off I'll be. You and I have got to learn to accept and expect, accept and expect change as a fact of life. You see, if you don't accept and expect change, then when it happens, you will constantly be disappointed. You do realize that disappointment is simply unmet expectations, right? And so if you accept that change is part of reality, then you can learn to anticipate change by expecting it to happen. As they say, life happens, and change is a part of life, and so therefore change happens. The second lesson I've learned that helps me prepare for change is to remember who I am and whose I am. So who am I? I'm a Christian. And whose am I? Well, I belong to Christ. As a child of God, I choose to believe this truth. God is sovereign. He's sovereign. That means that he is in control of everything that happens to me or around me. God's in control. He's in control of everything that happens to me and everything that happens around me. In other words, nothing happens to me or around me without God's permission. Do you agree with that? Nothing happens to you, the believer, or nothing happens around you without God's permission. Therefore, if God permits it, there must be a divine reason for it. If he permits it, there's a reason for it. I believe that God often allows changes in our lives to shake us up and sometimes wake us up out of our complacency. It's our natural human proclivity to get too comfortable with the way things are. We often take our circumstances and certain people for granted. We start to assume that things will always be the same or he or she will always be around and and so we stop treasuring what we have until it's gone. Anybody, that ever happened to anybody? Sometimes you don't know what you have until it's gone. And so I believe God orchestrates changes in our lives to teach us how to value and to prioritize our true treasures. And then to increase our faith and our trust in Him, who is our ultimate treasure. You know, God is our ultimate treasure. 
Last week we learned several valuable lessons from the transition that occurred in Israel between Moses and Joshua. Today I want us to learn some more valuable lessons from the lives of Elijah and Elisha. So please open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. You remember the prophet Elijah, don't you? He was God's prophet to Israel who, who, pray, who prayed that it wouldn't rain, and then it didn't rain for three and a half years. Imagine that. And then God moved him to pray again for rain, and God heard and answered his prayers, and the drought was broken, and it rained. Elijah was a prophet who prayed for a widow's dead son to be resurrected, and he was. Incredible. He was a prophet who met the false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel for a showdown as to who really is God and who were his real prophets. Well, we know that Elijah won that contest hands down and in stunning and miraculous fashion. Elijah was the only prophet we know of in the Old Testament that did not die. But instead he was taken up to heaven in a fiery chariot of horses, as we will see in our text today. Despite all of his miracles and miraculous accomplishment, Elijah was a human being just like us. He had his ups and downs with his faith in God. He struggled with depression and he wanted to die. And as we'll see in a moment, there came a time in his life and in the life of Elisha and Israel there came a time for change. Elijah's spectacular ministry was coming to an end, and Elisha, his assistant prophet, his ministry was about to change in significant ways. Let's read the text. 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Now I want you to notice once again a lesson that is being repeated right here at the beginning of this text. We learned this lesson last week, but it's right here in the beginning of this text. Here's the question. Who or what is responsible for this difficult and in some ways painful change that's about to happen to the children of Israel? My Bible says that the Lord was about to take Elijah. Who took Elijah from Elisha? The Lord. Who took Elijah away from Israel? The Lord. And did you notice when Elijah was about to be taken? While Elijah and Elisha were walking together. They were both walking in God's will, doing what God had called them to do in the life of God's congregation called Israel. Verse 2. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but don't speak of it. Then 
And Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Jericho now. And he replied, surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so they went to Jericho. And the company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know. But don't speak of it. And Elisha said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Jordan. And again he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so the two of them walked on. What's really going on in this text? Well, there's a whole lot going on in this text. Let me break it down to you. Back in 1 Kings 19, verse 16 and 19, we find the account where the Lord instructed Elijah to go and find Elisha and anoint him to succeed Elijah. And we read in verse 19 that Elijah anointed him by placing his own cloak over the shoulders of Elisha. And immediately, Elisha knew that that was a sign from God to leave the family farm and to go to be Elijah's assistant. Fast forward several years ago, several years now, to this text, our text for this morning, and we find Elijah and Elisha traveling together and making their rounds to the various schools of prophets in different towns over which they presumably taught and led. But now notice three times Elijah asked Elisha to stay behind while he went on to another city the Lord was sending him. But each time Elisha refused to stay behind. It's very interesting. Verse 2 Elijah's like, hey, Elisha, the Lord's got me going down to Bethel. Why don't you stay here and take care of the school in Gilgal? Elisha's like, as sure as the Pope is Catholic, I ain't, I ain't leaving you. Let's go to Bethel together. Well, he really said it like this. Elijah, as sure as God's alive, I'm coming with you. Now let's go. Let's go together. Verse 4, Elijah says, hey, Elisha, listen, God's called me to go down to Jericho. Why don't you stay here and take care of things at Bethel? Cool? Again, Elisha is not happening. Elijah's like, okay, let me ask you a question. Is God still alive? If the answer is yes, I ain't going. I ain't staying. I'm going with you. Let's go. Following verse 6, Elijah tries to ditch him again. Yo, bro, Elisha. God's sending me down to the Jordan River. You stay behind this time. Now, really, for real, you take care of the school here in Jericho. I got to take care of some business down in Jordan. Elisha's like, dude, you don't get it. You don't get it, do you? I'm not leaving your side today unless God is dead. And he ain't dead, is he? No? Okay, good. Then I'm with you. Some Bible scholars think that Elijah was simply testing Elisha to see whether he was still going to be loyal, a loyal follower until the end. And that may be true, but there may be something else at work here as well. 
Notice in each town, at each school of the prophets, Elisha is pulled aside by the company of the prophets. Those were the students who were studying to be prophets. And in each town, in each school, the group of prophetic students confronted Elisha with the prophecy that had been revealed, saying that Elijah was going to be taken from him that day. And Elisha says each time, Yes, I know, I know, but I don't want to hear it. Don't talk to me about this anymore. Elijah had so bonded with his mentor, Elijah, that he had become like his own father to him, and Elisha like a son to Elijah. Elisha hated the thought of losing Elijah. He had seen all the miracles, heard him preach and prophesy to God's people. He, he traveled with him on mission trips and helped him establish all the different chapters of these prophetic schools. He loved and he respected Elijah like a father. And he was loved by Elijah like a son. But now God said it was time for Elijah to go. And it was time for Elisha to step up and to take his place of leadership. But Elisha wanted to savor every last moment he could be with his spiritual father. And we can all understand that, right? So Elijah knew that he had to go. Elisha knew that Elijah had to go. And all the students in all the prophetic schools knew that Elijah had to go. And, and, they all knew it was God who was fixing to take Elijah away from them. They knew it. And they said so. Yet, at this point, it seems like it's only Elisha who is having a hard time accepting this big change. Let's see what happens next. Not only does Elisha go with Elijah down to the Jordan, but 50 of the students go down there with them as well. 50 men, verse 7, 50 men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. And Elijah, Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water with it, the water divided into right and left, and the two of them crossed over the Jordan River on the right ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, So, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha said. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not be yours. And as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared, separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and he cried out, My father, my father! The chariots and the horsemen of Israel! And 
Jesus saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them apart. Can you, can you feel the pain of Elisha's heart right there? It's as if God just ripped out his heart. In the ancient world, among the Jewish people, one of the ways to publicly show anger or grief or despair was to grab hold of your, your robe and to just rip it like that. And that's exactly how Elisha is feeling about this change that has now come into his life, and that's exactly what he does in response to those feelings. But now I want you to notice something very important in the text. He grieves, yes, but he also moves on. He grieves, and he moves on. Elijah had a sense and courage enough to ask for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. This is not unlike the inheritance laws of Israel, where the firstborn son gets a double portion of the father's estate as his inheritance. Elijah now boldly steps into God's new assignment for him. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Look at that, verse 13. And then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it, just like Elijah had done a moment ago. And then Elisha says, Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over on dry ground. Now, Elijah left his cloak, which is like a mantle or a cape. He left it behind, and Elisha had sense enough to understand its value to him, and he picked it up, and he began to use it. More than likely, this was the same cloak that Elijah had draped over his shoulders, that is, the shoulders of Elisha, when they first met. That was the day of Elisha's anointing to follow after Elijah in the prophetic ministry. And now it was time to take up Elijah's mantle, which was to take his place, to assume his office and to walk in his anointing and his authority. But now notice how Elisha calls on God to show up and show out right there on the bank of the Jordan River. And God not only recognized Elijah's mantle, now in the hands of Elisha, but more importantly, God validated Elisha's calling and the new role he had began. And so God began to do miracles through him, just as he did through Elijah. I noticed the response of the company of the prophets who were they are waiting and watching all of this take place. This is another reminder of why God encourages a public transition of leadership among his people. Verse 15 says, The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching, they said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And then they went to meet him and they bowed to the ground 
Uh, there are some parallels between the transition of Moses and Joshua, as well as this transition here of Elijah and Elisha. For example, in the book of Joshua, chapter 3, verse 7, after Moses died, the Lord God said to Joshua these words. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of the people, so that they may know I am with you as I was with Moses. God takes very seriously the position or the offices of leadership and followership among his people. The New Testament tells us that church leaders are worthy of what? Double honor. Why? Because they represent God to his people. It's the same principle the apostle lays out in his epistles. The apostle John. He says, you can't say you love God whom you can't see if you hate your brothers and sisters whom you can't see. In the same way, you can't say you respect and submit to God whom you can't see if you don't respect and submit to your leaders who you can see. Now don't get it twisted. The prophets, these prophets, prophetic students, they were not worshiping Elisha as God. They were showing him the honor and the respect due to the chief prophet of Israel. They recognized his leadership position and they submitted to his authority. In other words, they accepted the unwanted change, but they still wanted to have their cake and eat it too. Look at verse 16. Look, they said, we your servants have 50 able men Let's go and look for your master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has picked them up and sent them down some mountain or some valley. No, Elijah replied, don't send them out. He's gone. But they persisted until it was he was too ashamed to refuse. And so he said to them, okay, send them. They sent 50 men who searched for the three days. But what? They did not find him. When they returned, Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, said to them, Told you. I told you so. The men of the city said to Elisha, Look, look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Elisha says, Okay, bring me a new bowl, put salt in it. And they did and brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says, I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained wholesome to this day, according to the word Elijah, Elisha had spoken. Now what have we learned from these verses? First of all, in verses 16 to 18, we see Elisha's word being tested. His word represents his authority. The prophets in training were for sure, they thought for sure that they could go find Elijah. That was, they thought this was not the end. Maybe God was just playing. Hide and seek. Elisha said to them, look, don't bother. He's not around. It's a waste of time. God's taken him away for good. 
But they persisted. And there were so many of them, and only one Elisha, he finally gave in and allowed them to go waste their time and energy. Of course, when they returned empty-handed and exhausted after three days of looking, Elisha said, I told you so. Now let's move on. Lesson number one, new leaders' authority will be tested by their followers. New leaders' authority will always be tested by the followers. Another lesson we learned from verses 19 through 22 is that Elisha's faith was also tested. Elisha's, Elisha's faith was also tested. The followers brought a problem, a complaint to Elisha, and they expected him to fix it. Elisha's faith in his anointing and his God was tested and proved to be powerful. Lesson number two, followers will test the faith of their new leaders. Followers will test the faith of their new leaders. Also, interestingly, outgoing leaders will leave some unfinished business for new leaders to finish. I mean, I'm sure Elijah was aware of the water issue in Jericho. I'm sure it came to his attention. But for whatever reason, he decided not to take care of it, but he left it for Elisha to handle. And in taking care of that unfinished business, the anointing and the power of God is now made manifest in the new leader. So lesson number two, followers will test the faith of their new leaders, and outgoing leaders often leave unfinished business for new leaders to finish. You see, the church leadership, church leadership is spiritual leadership, and spiritual leadership requires faith. The New Testament scriptures remind us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Spiritual leaders know that every challenge that confronts them must be met with faith in God. And God always, God is always pleased to show up and show out when we place our faith and trust in Him. I've seen it. I've seen it in, in all my years of ministry. God always loves He's always pleased to show up and show up when we place our faith and trust in Him. When it looks like there is no way, He makes a way out of no way. That's the kind of God we serve. When it looks like we ain't got no money, He says, here you go, I got the money. Just put your trust in me. show out when we put our faith and trust in Him. That's exactly what Elisha demonstrates here. Finally, a very painful lesson. 
From there, Elijah went up to Bethel, which means house of God. And as he was walking along the road, some youths came out of town and jeered at him. Go on up, you bald head, they said. Go on up, you bald head. Elisha turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. Say what?
First of all, these young people lacked faith. They, they didn't believe that God had anointed and appointed Elijah to step up into the office of chief priest of Israel. And because they didn't believe that truth, they mocked the true man of God and his office. And by mocking the man of God, they were simultaneously disrespecting his office and disrespecting God. I want you to notice that Elisha called down a curse on these, this young mob of kids. And he did it in the name of the Lord. You see that? Verse 24. He did it in the name of the Lord. You know what that means? It means that God sanctioned it. God vindicated his anointed and appointed man and taught this gang of rude, disrespectful kids a very painful lesson. So dear followers of Christ, please, please learn this lesson well. We must worship God alone. Let's get that straight. But we must never disrespect God's leaders or their office by saying anything or doing anything to dishonor them or their office. To do so is to dishonor and to disrespect God himself and to put yourself in danger of bringing a divine curse on your own life. So in closing, let us commit ourselves in our transition. Let us commit ourselves to a smooth transition by, first of all, accepting and embracing the fact that change is inevitable. Number two, that God is sovereign over his church and this world. That God removes leaders and he raises up new ones. That we are to trust God, trust his timing, trust his wisdom, trust the new leaders that he brings to us. Accept our new leaders, respect our new leaders, follow our new leaders as they seek to follow God. And if we do that, the blessing of God will be on our congregation. And the power of God will be on our congregation to do all that he has planned for us to do and to accomplish together. Let's stand as we worship the Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed, this is God's time of invitation to respond to the revealed word of God to our lives. So how do you deal with unwanted changes in your life? How do you deal with changes that you don't like? I hope today you're willing to say, Lord, help me to understand that change is constant. Help me to embrace change, to learn to anticipate and expect changes in my life, in our church. Lord, help me to trust you. Help me to worship you. But also help me to honor and respect my leaders. Help me to follow
Jesus' name.